So if you'd turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 5. And as we prepare to get in the Word, if I could just share a couple of prayer requests uh, with you. Is Stephen Gail Springer, uh, Pastor Steve, he is moving to Uganda, uh, he and Gail, July 20th. And so you can imagine all of the preparations that would be taking place trying to move to Uganda to do missions work. And so if you would please uh, write down their names and try to pray for them every day this month, I know that they would really appreciate it. Also, Vange, our cafe manager, she was in the cafe for 10 years. Uh, She's taking a position with Gospel for Asia, and so she leaves tomorrow morning. She's loading up her stuff and headed down there to take that position, and it's at their headquarters uh, in Texas. So if you could please uh, pray for her. Anybody moving to Texas needs special prayer, uh, but uh, please lift her up. And then also the Rafferty's, Sean and Lisa Rafferty are in the process of transitioning back to the Springs and to Rocky Mountain Calvary. Uh, He left six years ago to start Calvary Chapel Chihuahua and God's raised up a local pastor. So he's coming back on staff uh, September 1st as one of our pastors, but they're in process uh, of moving. So please pray for them and their family uh, as they adjust uh, back uh, to the United States and the counterculture shock that you go through as a missionary. So let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your love, and we thank you for all that you're doing in and through our our fellowship, and Lord, we do pray for the Springers as they prepare this month to move to Uganda, that you would really protect them and watch over them, and we we pray for Vange as she transitions to Gospel for Asia, God, that you would prepare the way and bless her, and we're thankful for the Rafferty's and how you've used them in Chihuahua. Just have your hand upon them as they move back to the Springs in Rocky Mountain Calvary, God, as we look at this concept of singing unto you this morning, of worshiping you in praise, I pray that you would take us to a deeper understanding of who you are and a deeper place of worship. Please send your spirit to lead us and guide us in your truth, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Songs are powerful, aren't they? You can hear a song and it'll take you back to a time and place, even to where you can remember some of the emotions that you were going through that are connected with that song. When that happens, it does date you. You know, if you hear a song from the 60s and you're like, oh, I remember that high school prom. It was so wonderful or whatever it it may be. Sometimes I'm with some of you guys and it's a 80s song that comes on and you just freak out. It's like, wow, you know this, I love this 80s song, right? Well, it kind of dates us a little bit when when that happens. Uh, You know, the younger generation, some of the music that you're into, I have no idea. I used to try to keep up and I don't even try to keep up. And now people are like, have you heard of this? Have you heard of that? I'm like, I have not heard of them at all. Are they from another planet? Do they play music on Mars? I'm just totally clueless. But music, it is absolutely powerful. And what we're going to study this morning is the song of Deborah and the song of Barak. And if you remember a couple weeks back, it's been a couple weeks since we've been in the book of Judges, is the children of Israel are going through this cycle They're the generation after Joshua, and things would be good. They would serve the Lord. Then they would drift from God, get into idolatry. God would respond then by raising up an oppressor, 
over a period of time when they're in bondage, they would plead with God. They would cry out to God, God, would you please deliver us? God would be gracious to raise up a judge, deliver them, and then they would have a time of peace again, only to go back into idolatry. It's about 400 years of this type of cycle. And what we found was Deborah was the judge that God raised up. And she challenged God's people to move, to take action. Barak responded, he rallied the men, and God did a great victory and delivered them from the Canaanites who were the oppressors. Now chapter 5 is their response to this, and they're going to write a song. They're going to sing a song unto the Lord. It's how they connected with God's deliverance. And songs are a big part of scripture. You remember when the children of Israel went through the Red Sea? Once they got through that experience and God delivered them from Pharaoh, what did they do? Miriam wrote a song and she sang a song unto the Lord. We've got a whole book of worship songs, the Psalms, and that is expressing love to God and crying out to to the Lord. The book of Revelation, we sing it from time to time here at church. We call it the Revelation song. It's the 24 elders before the throne of God celebrating the redemption of the Lord. So this is my hope and my desire as we study together this morning is that we would go deeper in understanding the importance of worshiping God in song. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Ahinoam, sang on that day, saying. Deborah and Barak, these two people that God used to bring about this victory, instead of just moving on with all that needed to be done with this victory, with the captives, with the spoils, they take time to put energy, effort, creativity into writing a song to show God that they're thankful. And when we sing to the Lord, we're expressing a heart of thanksgiving to God. We're showing him that we're appreciative for who he is and what he's done in our lives. Now, what's unique about this is that we don't find that they were necessarily musicians or necessarily creative types. Uh, Deborah's a mom. Deborah's a judge. She, she's sharing the word of God, encouraging others. Brock almost seems to be not much known about him. So it wasn't necessarily that they came with this degree in music or, or this profession in music. And this is something that they did every day. I don't know how great the musical quality of this song was. It may have been out of this world. It may not have been out of this world. But the important thing was, is they took the time to express their love to God. What also would happen in writing this song is it would pass on the works of God to future generations. It's a great way to learn is through song. If you've got young kids, how do you teach them the alphabet? With song. It's the best way to teach them the alphabet. It's a great way to learn Bible verses, is to learn them through song. As it is 4th of July weekend, we think of the song America the Beautiful, and many of you are familiar that that has its roots from Pikes Peak. Catherine Bates was a college professor from the East Coast teaching for the summer at Colorado College, and she was moved by her experience on the top of Pikes Peak, and some words started to come to mind, and when she got back to her hotel, which happened to be the Antlers Hotel in downtown, she wrote this poem that we now know to be America the Beautiful, that then was rewritten into a song and was first published in a hymnal, in the Congregationalist hymnal, and it really caught on like wildflower fire. 
or a wildflower. Either way. And songs have a way of doing that. You know, some hundred years later, we still know and sing that song. And songs are a great way to pass on history and God's work to future generations. They took the time to express their love to the Lord. So verse 2, we get into the song. When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. So this is the theme of the song. It's what the song comes back to over and over again. And it's what Deborah and Barak are celebrating is that leaders were willing to lead, the people were willing to follow, and God worked. Bless the Lord. And when those two things come together, when leaders are willing to lead and then people are willing to follow, God works. A lot of times we find that leaders, they don't want to lead, right? God's given a position of leadership, whether it's in the home or in the church or in the workplace or in government, but leaders are apprehensive to lead. And fear comes over them, and timidity comes over them, and they don't want to lead. But then we also find that it's difficult for us as a group of people to want to follow. There may be a good leader that God has raised up, but we're saying, I'm not going along with the direction of the leader. Why does he get to be the leader? I want to be the leader in those kinds of things. So has God given you a position of leadership and are you fulfilling that leadership? Inside of the home, it's, it's so important. Starting with husbands and fathers and moms and wives and us taking that leadership with our children in, inside of our home, it's desperately needed. Inside of the church of God, we need godly leaders, servant leaders that are going to lead. A great prayer for this church and for the churches throughout our country is, God, would you raise up good, godly, courageous, Christ-centered leadership inside of the church. Leaders that are going to honor your word and obey your word. In the workplace, there needs to be good, godly leadership. Don't think that leadership, it doesn't apply in the business world. You can take Christ-like leadership, esteeming others better than yourself, really caring for people and loving people. There's even those that don't know Christ and used Christ's principles inside of business. A good boss is going to care about those that work with him and for him. And there's bosses that have figured that out that don't know Christ as their Savior. So if you have a position of leadership at work, don't leave Christ out of that. Say, how can I fulfill that role inside of the workplace? In our government, we desperately need godly leaders, don't we? We reflect upon our country, and we're grateful for our country on 4th of July weekend, and we can look back on our brief history. We still have a short history as a country, and we've been blessed with many godly leaders throughout our history, and we need more going into the future. And so we see the importance of leaders leading, but then also people following, people willing to offer themselves to God's call. In verse 3, hear, O kings, give Ear, O princes, I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. So Deborah and Barak are saying, hey, stop and listen. I'm going to give praise to God. I'm going to sing to God. When God works, when God delivers, when God provides, when he redeems, it's appropriate for us to sing to God because it gives him praise for the victory. A lot of times I think we miss out on the importance of praise. We miss out on the importance of worship, of singing to the Lord. I know that I sure did growing up in the church. So I was born on a Sunday, and the next Sunday I was in church. 
I was in church every Sunday, every Wednesday. We had church Sunday morning and Sunday night. There was a Sunday school hour. I mean, a lot of my life was spent at church. And I'd come into church, and everybody would be singing. And at our particular church, there was a steeple, the church that I was at till I was about, about 12, and really wood that was on the ceiling of the church. And while we were on vacation, we went to a church that had that same kind of, of ceiling, and it brought back a ton of memories. Because when everybody was singing and in God's presence, because I didn't get it, I was staring at the ceiling, and I was counting the knot holes in the wood. And that's what I would do during, during worship. You know, and sometimes the music wasn't always the best in my little church in, in southern Oregon. Our pastor, for some reason, he loved to play the, drum, or the trumpet. So it's like he would get up there and he would just blow the trumpet till he was red in the face. And I'm not kidding you. There was a guy named Chuck and he would sit right over here in our little sanctuary and he would play an upright bass. And he wasn't really part of the team, but he would just bring his own instrument and he'd, he'd come over. It's Oregon, right? You know, and so he's here, bonk, 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 and you're like, Chuck, Chuck the bass, you know, like get, get rid of the bass. But people were in love with the Lord, and it wasn't about the, the quality of music or how the, the music sounded, but I, I missed it. You know, I wouldn't sing, sing to God because I didn't have a relationship with the Lord. Then everything changed in my freshman year of high school. And God really spoke to my heart that he loved me, that he died for me when I didn't want to have anything to do with him, and I found myself going to church and wanting to sing. I couldn't explain it. There was a transformation that happened in my heart and in my life, and maybe you're in that place where you go, I don't really get this. Why do they spend so much of their service in song every single week? You know, why, do, why are people singing to the Lord? Maybe you look around in, in the sanctuary, and you're like, bummer, there's no wood on the ceiling to count the knot holes, you know, and, and you're watching people, and you can tell they're they're enjoying something and it's beyond the music and their eyes are closed and they're expressing their love to God and you're I, I just don't get it. See, it's a love thing. It's a relationship thing. It's, it's seeing out of gratitude to the Lord because of his grace and his forgiveness and deliverance inside of our lives. Because think of it outside of the Lord. Who would you sing to? What's your list of people that you would actually have the guts to one-on-one sing to? Not karaoke when you're out goofing around and having a good time, but serious pour-out-your-heart type of singing. My list is real small. It's my wife. I have sang to her. She graciously endured it. And my kids. I think every parent holds their kids and sings to them, right? And outside of that, I'm not singing to any of you, you know? I'll sing to the Lord, I'll sing to my wife, I'll sing to my kids, but I'm never singing to any of you, right? It's very vulnerable. You're pouring out your heart. It's a very personal thing. And the only way that we're going to understand singing to the Lord is we will understand our relationship with Him. Verse 4, Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured. The clouds also poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord, this Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. As they went out in battle to take on Sisera, Sisera had 900 chariots of iron. They didn't have any weapons, the nation of Israel. How are they going to have victory? God intervened and he caused a great torrent of rain. He flooded these chariots to where now they've got great technology, but In the mud, they're completely stuck, and then Israel's able to come and wipe them out. So they're celebrating God's intervention. 
Leaders need to lead, people need to follow, but it's God who brings the victory. It's God who does the supernatural that man can't do. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted and the travelers walked along the byways. Shamgar was a previous judge. Remember, he had the ox goad and brought about a victory with with the ox goad. We know very little about Shamgar. And then Jael, she's the woman who brought about the victory in chapter 4, if you remember a few weeks back. And we'll hear a little bit more of her in a few minutes. It's described of what it was like when they were under oppression. The highways were deserted. The travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel. It would be like here in Colorado Springs if there was some kind of oppressor to where it wasn't safe to drive on Academy Boulevard. It wasn't safe to be on Powers Boulevard. It wasn't safe to be on I-25. So you had to sneak around town because of the oppressors. And that's what was happening to Israel. Village life, it ceased. Daily life, it ceased. We have to remember that when we get away from the Lord and we walk in rebellion to God, when we choose other gods before the Lord, life gets real difficult. And God did this out of love for the children of Israel to get their attention. Maybe you can relate. You can say, you know, I have received Christ as my Savior. There was a time that I was walking with the Lord, but I've drifted. I've gotten away from Christ. And all of a sudden, life isn't working. Village life has ceased, if you would. I'm going through the byways of life. I'm always looking over my shoulder. If I'm going to get caught, if I'm going to get exposed, is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? There's a message for you this morning. Get right with the Lord. Cry out to him. That's the beauty of the book of Judges, is every time Israel cried out, even though they didn't deserve it, God didn't kick them to the curb. God didn't give up on them. He graciously raised up a deliverer to them. Maybe you're following the Lord this morning and you're saying, you know, following Christ is difficult and it's hard. May I speak into your life a little bit? Just try not following the Lord for a couple of years. Just try being in rebellion to the Lord for a couple of years. Sometimes the Christian life is difficult, but it's nothing like how hard the way of transgression is. And the children of Israel experienced that until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. Deborah's not being prideful. She's expressing how the Lord moved in her heart and in her life and used her in this situation. They chose new gods. There was war in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. They chose new gods. What a downgrade. What a terrible trade-in. The one true living God for these false gods, but they were new gods. Something intrigued them about these false gods. When they were in idolatry, they had war in their gates. They had turmoil. There was no shield or spear. Why? Because their oppressor, the Canaanites, Sisera, disarmed the children of Israel, took all of their weapons, their swords, their spears. When we're in compromise and we're in rebellion, the enemies disarmed us. We're no threat to Satan's camp. We're no threat to Satan's youth group. We're not effective for the kingdom. We're disarmed. So when you think about Barak and how scared he was to go into battle, you can understand why. They're going into battle with an ox code. They're going into battle with a pitchfork with their hay made out of wood. They have no iron. They have no sword. They have no shield. And they're going up a well-armed fortress with chariots of iron. Verse 9, My heart is with the rulers of Israel, who offered themselves willingly with the people, bless the Lord. 
This is gracious of Deborah. She says that her heart is with the other rulers of Israel. But remember, Barak, he was very slow to want to go into battle. And in fact, he said, if you don't go with me, Deborah, I'm not going in to battle at all. Not very courageous. But instead of beating up on Barak, she's thankful for him. And she says, my heart is with him. And our heart should be with fellow leaders. You know, in your work, if you've got another leader that's a, a, a believer, man, your heart should be with them and for them. In your neighborhood, if, if you've got someone in your neighborhood that's a believer and they're kind of a, a leader inside of your neighborhood, man, your heart should be with them because it's about the kingdom. As a church leadership, you know, we don't want to just be for our own leadership here, but we have a heart for the other leaders in the city, those that are doing God's work and are being faithful in, in the kingdom of God. In verse 10, Speak you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judges' attire, and who walk along the road. Far from the noise of the archers among the watering places, there they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. In this section of the song, Deborah and Barak are speaking to the nobility, those who ride on white donkeys who have their judges' attire. And their role and their job and the position that God had given them is to recount the righteous acts of God so that the common people would hear of the knowledge of the Lord and take that with them in the gates, take that with them as they went. That's our job as well, is wherever we go, if you're on your white donkey, if you would, if you're in your minivan, you know, wherever you're at, speak of the righteous acts of God. Verse 12, awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. Deborah is speaking to herself and saying, don't miss what God has done and don't miss the proper response to what the Lord has done. Awake, Deborah, awake, Deborah, sing to the Lord. And what we find in the Psalms many times is the psalmist speaks to his own soul. And what's your soul? It's your mind, it's your emotion, it's your will. And sometimes we don't necessarily feel like singing to the Lord. Ever have those mornings? I have several mornings a week where I tend to just wake up complaining internally. I I get up, I get out of bed, and I just find myself, I think I have the spiritual gift of negativity early in the morning, right? A little groggy, the, the coffee hasn't set in, and those type of things. And I've got to speak to my soul and stay quit your crying, baby. You know, quit, quit being a little whiny baby about all this stuff. It, God's been so good to you. You're the son of God. You're forgiven. You're going to heaven. Think of all the blessings that God has given to you. Sing to the Lord. If you wait always until you feel like praising the Lord, you may be waiting a real long time. Sometimes worship and singing to God is a sacrifice of praise. You don't necessarily feel like it, but you respond to the Lord's goodness. And here, Deborah, in a time of blessing, she's reminding herself to sing. And sometimes in times of great difficulty or when we're having a bad day, we've got to kind of spark ourselves and say, sing to the Lord. Verse 13, then the survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for me against the mighty. God intervened on their behalf. In the next few verses... It's interesting what Deborah records. She records the tribes of Israel that responded to Barak's call got into the battle. They entered into the battlefield. But there were also some tribes 
that didn't enter into the battle. And they're listed as well. And it's an exhortation for us. There's two types of people. There's those that say, I'm all in for God's call in my life. I want to be used for his glory. I want to live for his kingdom. And then there's others that are the people of God, but they say, no, I'm not going to do anything. I don't want to get my hands messy. So we'll see this and we'll learn from it in verse 14. From Ephraim were those whose roots were in Amalek, after you, Benjamin, with your peoples. From Machir, rulers came down. And from Zebulun, those who bear the recruiter's staff. So different sections of Israel got involved. Ephraim got involved. Benjamin got involved. Rulers from Machir got involved. Not an official tribe, but a section in Israel. Zebulun, a tribe of Israel, they actually got involved in recruiting. They said, hey, God's moving. God's, God's working. Come and be involved in, in the battle. They had the recruiter's staff in verse 15. And the princes of Ishakar were with Deborah. As Ishakar, so was Barak, sent into the valley under his command. Among the divisions of Reuben, there was great resolve of hearts. So now Reuben is the first tribe that didn't get involved. It says, why did you sit among the, the sheepfolds to hear the pipings for the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searching of heart. Reuben gets the news from Barak that it's time to take on Sisera. And what does he do? Well, he's got great resolve of heart, got great intentions. Oh yeah, we're, we're going to respond. We're going to get into the battle. And it also says they had great searchings of heart. As they sat and thought about this with their flocks, they found a reason to not go. Ever been there? God presses something on your heart. I, I want you to give. I want you to give this amount of money to, to this work, this endeavor, that this person, and you sit on it for a while and you look at the budget, and you crunch the numbers, and before you know it, we've convinced ourselves, nah, it's not a good time to give. The Lord puts on our hearts, oh yeah, go, go over and talk to your neighbor. Think about it for a while. No, Lord, I don't think that's a good idea. I'm not going over there and talking to my neighbor. I mean, I see them every day, and that's too scary. That, the Lord kind of begins to stir and putting children's ministry on our hearts, and Lord, you know, sometimes I don't even like kids. Why would I go down there and serve kids? And they got snotty noses and they're disrespectful. And ah, that must be somebody else that you're calling. Lord, not the junior hypers of the church. No way. Someone else can do the, the, the junior high I ministry, right? And we have great resolve of heart. We've got great intention of heart. But we also have searching of heart. And before you know it, we found a reason to not get involved into God's call. And Reuben missed out in verse 17. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and why did Dan remain on ships? Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by his inlets. This is a song that lives on to future generations. Deborah and Barak are pretty bold here. We find first that Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. They didn't want to dwell in the promised land, so they were on the other side of the Jordan River. Their response seems to be, well, it's not my territory. It's not my land. It doesn't affect me. So why would I be involved in it? And sometimes we hear of a battlefield that's far away, that doesn't affect us, that people are going through in another country, in another land, another part of the United States. And we go, well, that doesn't really affect me. I'm on the other side of this issue, the other side of the Jordan. So they don't get involved. And then we find that Dan has to remain on his ships. 
sailing. He has these endeavors, these business endeavors. I can't enter into the battle. Well, Asher just continued at the seashore. They were the Californians of the children of Israel. And they say, it's too nice over here at the beach. I just can't get involved in the battle. Now, I know half of you are California transplants, so it probably wasn't a smart thing to say. Well, be encouraged. I'm an Oregon transplant, so I'm a seashore type of guy as well. We don't know why Asher didn't get involved. Why didn't they come to the battle? They wanted to stay by the seashore. They wanted to stay in the inlets. It's very easy for us to stay out of the fight as children of God. But I think when we look back at our lives, at the end of our lives, we're going to go, oh, I regret not serving the Lord, not finding out what his call is for my life. You're created in the image of God. Isn't that incredible? Each one of you bears the image of God. And God puts a call upon your life. You have some unique gifts that you did nothing to deserve. You were born, God gave you gifts right out of the womb. He's also given you spiritual gifts when you were saved and you became part of the body of Christ, part of the bride of Christ. He's like, bam, here's some spiritual gifts. We didn't do anything to earn or deserve those. And God wants to use your life. I think that's incredibly exciting. That none of us have to sit the bench in God's kingdom. That there's no, no such thing as professional ministers. That you don't have to get a master's degree in divinity to be used by God. Nothing wrong with going to seminary, but God uses people of all backgrounds, of all types. If it was only determined by seminary degrees, then what would the hope be? And God wants to use your life. How do you find out what he's got in store for you? On a big picture, on a daily basis, it's coming to God into prayer. Lord, what do you have for me today? What do you, what do you want me to do? I want my life to count for all of eternity. But we don't want to be like these tribes that opted out for various reasons. One of the great joys of entering into God's work is you get to see the victories of God. You get to experience what he's done. Think about the two groups of people, those that responded and those didn't. You've got those that saw the rain come down, saw these chariots stuck in mud, were very much personally attached to the victory that God did, and then others just got to hear about it. Are you tired of just hearing about it? Are you tired of just hearing other believers say, well, this is what God did. It was so amazing. Uh, this is what the Lord has provided. This is how he's worked. And bam, bam, bam. And you're like, I, I don't get this. I don't understand it. Take a step of faith. What does God say in his word? Step out. There's a lot of hurting people. And you'll have your own story of how God's worked in your life. May God give us the strength to be in the battle. And verse 18. Zebulun is a people who jeopardize their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also. On the heights of the battlefield, the kings came and fought. The kings of Canaan fought in Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They took no spoils of silver. So Naphtali and Zebulun, those that did enter into the battlefield. But then we find that the kings of Canaan, the enemy came down by the waters of Megiddo, but they were defeated. They went home with no spoils of silver. Verse 20, they fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. The torrents of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. Oh, my soul, march on in strength. God's intervention, God's hand with them. In verse 22, the horse's hooves pounded the galloping, the galloping of his steeds. I want you to try to imagine the battlefield a little bit and the horses that would be involved in this battle. 
Now, aren't horses amazing animals? They've got to be kind of the crown or the, the chief of some of God's creation in the animal kingdom. I mean, you have a mouse, you have a chicken, you have a pig, and then you have the horse. I mean, who would you rather be? I would be the horse, right? And these horses are huge, and they're powerful, and they're muscles, but then they can be controlled by a rider. You can put a small child on a trained horse, and this horse will obey a child. If you watch any horse racing and you see these powerful animals right before the race begins, they're just going crazy, aren't they? And their power, they're ready to run. And you could anticipate the horses as they're getting ready for battle. They're ready to gallop. They're ready to go. And then they take off. And that's what Deborah's remembering from the battlefield. Verse 23 is a city that's given to us. Curse Miraz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse and its inhabitants bitterly because they didn't come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. This is a city in Israel. We don't know its exact location, but they didn't respond. This is the curse of doing nothing. They were unwilling to help. This is the group that we don't want to be a part of. In verse 24, we now focus upon Jael. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in the tents. Jael stands out as the woman who took action. You have all of these tribes that did nothing, but Jael, she's in her tent, and here comes Sisera. She's a Kenite, and the Kenites were friends with the Canaanites. She could have easily said, I'm not going to take action. I'm going to play it safe. But she took great action as Sisera came into her tent, verse 25, he asked for water, she gave milk, she brought out cream in a lordy bowl. This was intentional on her behalf. He was running for his life in the hot Middle Eastern sun, and she gives him milk instead of water. No refrigeration. She does give it to him in a nice lordy bowl, in an impressive bowl. This is the last thing that you would want to drink after you're running for your life. Some curdled yogurt, right? So, He's like, I'm thirsty, I'm going to drink it. After drinking the milk, the calcium sets in, he falls asleep. Verse 26, she stretched out her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera, she pierced his head, she split and struck through his temple. Now remember, this is a song. <laughs> so this is when probably all of the instruments get really loud and they start crashing the cymbals on the drums, because this was their oppressor. And verse 27, at her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. She took action with the very simple and ordinary things of her daily life. They were nomadic. They were tent dwellers. She took this tent up, she took it down, set it up, took it down. She knew how to use the hammer and the tent peg, and she used that skill for God's glory. I think the greatest work and the greatest action that God wants us to take in our lives is in the midst of our daily lives. A lot of times we think, well, I've got to go here. I've got to do this. And the Lord's saying, I want you to take action right where you're at. What's in your hand? What do you use on a daily basis? Use that for the glory of God. In verse 21 the mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariot? Death always affects someone. 
Death always has a consequence on someone. And Deborah starts to think about, well, what's Sisera's mom going through? And she's looking for Sisera to come back. Verse 29, her wisest ladies answered her, yes, she answered herself, are they not finding and dividing the spoil to every man a girl or two? For Sisera plundered of dried garments, plunder of garments embroidered and dyed, two pieces of dried embroidery for the neck of the looter. So they're talking to themselves and saying, well, the reason that Sisera hasn't come is because he's looting the spoil. He's taking a girl or two to himself. And this tells you the kind of man that Sisera was, the kind of men that the the Canaanites were, that they're looting in in this way and and abusing girls and taking them to themselves. And that's something that fires me up. I I hope it fires you up as well. And it continues to happen through, through the world and even the United States where children are put into sex slavery. And I've got three daughters and You know, nothing worse could be for a child than to be put into that situation. And Sisera was that kind of man. And we see that in these verses. In verse 31, it's our last verse. Thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord. But let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. So the land had rest for 40 years. It's a prayer. God, would you make those who love you strong like the sun when it rises? Isn't that a great prayer? The song, the sun is so strong when it rises. That's how God wants to make us. In our few minutes as we close, would you turn with me in your Bible into Psalms 103? Because I want to try to apply this to our hearts and to our lives. Psalms 103. We didn't go through the victory with jail over the Canaanites. And it can be easy to just study this song and have no response in our own lives. So what we're going to do is we're going to read Psalms 103, think about God's deliverance in our own lives, then we're going to stand and we're going to sing Psalms 103. We're going to respond as a congregation and sing together of God's goodness. So read with me Psalms 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Anybody up for that? Anybody would like to have your youth renewed? The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. That's good news. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so he has removed our transgression from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like the grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. And those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, 
to such as keep his covenant, to those who remember his commands to do them. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, you who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Would you stand with me, please? As we prepare to now sing a worship song that's written out of Psalms 103, do two things. First, engage to sing, bless the Lord, O my soul. All that's within me, bless the Lord. Take a moment to not focus on whether you've had breakfast or you're headed for lunch or if you're going to watch World Cup. It's a lousy sport anyway. (laughs) Boo, right? But let's forget about all that stuff. That was for chance. And say, I'm going to bless the Lord. God has been so good to me. And I want you to meditate on when God saved you, when he redeemed you. Maybe a time when God was faithful in the midst of your own rebellion. And say, God, thank you. I'm going to bless you. I'm not going to forget your benefits. And then also, if you haven't experienced God's forgiveness in your life. Maybe 